0: Scripture reading this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that, that this is part of an ongoing story. It's actually the, the conclusion of a story that began back in chapter 3, when Peter and John healed a layman as they were on their way into the temple. Remember Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer and on their way into the temple they encountered this man who had been sitting at the beautiful gate outside of the temple. He had been there to ask alms, to to beg for his daily bread because he was lame. And when Peter and John saw him, they they said to him, Listen, we don't have any silver or gold to give to you, but what we do have we give. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And immediately this lame man, who Luke tells us later in the narrative, this, this man who had been born lame, this man who was more than 40 years old, and had been lame all his life, He immediately stands and begins walking and leaping and praising God. And as you can imagine, to to see this man that everyone knew was lame, that everyone knew sat outside the gate begging, to see this man now well, to see him now walking and leaping and praising God, attracted a crowd. And to that crowd, Peter and John began to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And to call the people to repent and to turn to Him for their own salvation. And as they preached that gospel, that that gospel of salvation through the risen Lord, the authorities came upon them and arrested them and, and threw them in jail for the night. And then the next day brought them before the council to be tried. And it was there before the council, the, the same council that had crucified Christ and had authority to do the same to the apostles. before that same council, the, the apostles' boldness did not waver. But they continued to proclaim the good news of, of Jesus Christ. They could continue, continue to proclaim him to be the cornerstone upon which the kingdom of God would rest. And it was in response to that bold proclamation that the apostles were threatened. That the council told them to be quiet, to preach no more in this name, or else more than just a night in jail will be coming your way. And it is the apostles' response to those threats that we see in the verses before us this morning. They had been threatened by the authorities, they had been threatened by the council. And now we read how they respond to those threats. And the, and the first thing we see this morning is that in response to those threats, when they are released, they go to their friends. That's really the first thing I want us to see, that the, the apostles go to their friends. But we also need to see that, that when they went to their friends, they, they prayed with their friends. And next week, we will look more closely at the one to whom they prayed and and we will see what they prayed for and how God responded to their prayer. But this morning we're going to begin by, by simply looking at the fact that when they were released, they went to their friends and they prayed with their friends. So let's, let's begin with the fact that they, they go to their friends. They have friends to whom they can return. Luke tells us that when the apostles were released, they they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And and that just makes perfect sense. It's exactly what we would have done, is it not? If you had gone through a traumatic event like like their arrest and like their trial certainly was, when you were released, you would have gone to your friends to tell them about it. You, You can't believe what happened to me, you would have said. You would have gone to your friends and and reported it. It's just what we do. And, and that's exactly what the apostles did. They, they went to their friends. Now, admittedly, that's a little bit of a loose translation. Literally, the text says simply that they went to their own. The, the Greek, as it often does, leaves us to supply the noun, which is frustrating if you're a translator. and It's why you see so much variation in the translations. The, the, New King, or the King James Version says simply that they went to their own company. The NIV says they went to their own people. The NAS says that they went to their own companions. Here, obviously, the ESV says they went to their friends. And, and you, can, you can hear the similarities, but the differences in those translations. But whichever translation you use, it is clear from the context that they went to a group within the church. A, a group that was regarded as their own. A group with, with whom they had a special Relationship. Remember, the, the, the church at this point numbers more than 5,000. The 120 disciples who had, who had been together in the upper room following Jesus' ascension, that, that 120 had swelled to more than 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. And we're told here in in verse 4 that after Peter healed the lame man and proclaimed the good news of the gospel that that the number of men came to 5,000. Now it's not clear whether that means that the the total number came to 5,000 or whether 5,000 additional people were converted that day. But either way, at the very least, the church now numbers 5,000 and that appears to refer only to the Men. The women and the the children would have been in addition to that number. And so the the church in Jerusalem at this point is quite large, even by modern standards. Even by modern standards, it is a megachurch. It is a large church numbering more than 5,000. And just think about what that practically means. It it means that it is, at least in Jerusalem, where there were no multi-million dollar church buildings, it means that there was no way for the whole church to gather at one time in one place. The, The apostles couldn't go to the whole church, and so instead they went to their own within the church. They went to their friends. They went to the people within the church with whom they had the closest relationships. Maybe it was those whom whom they had known for the longest. Maybe it was those whom they saw more frequently in the the course of their daily routines. Maybe it was those with whom they had some special connection. We don't know the details. We we don't know the, the characteristics of this group, but they went to their own. They went to their friends within the church. And I think... That is significant. It's it's worth our noting. It suggests to us that it's not only permissible but even desirable to have groups of friends within the church. And we we sometimes struggle with that. Because after all, there is one holy apostolic church. There is one church. The, The church is singular. All believers are united in Christ. And so when we have friends within the church, we sometimes wonder if we're showing partiality. We sometimes wonder if we're, we're showing favoritism. But we have to recognize the, the reality of, of who God made us to be. We are finite creatures. We have limited capacity. It's simply not possible for us to, to know everyone. And we, we simply cannot maintain an intimate personal relationship with everyone. One. And so given the reality of who you are as a creature, as a finite being, it is appropriate and even wise for you to have friends within the church. This is actually true even for Jesus. Sam talked about how how Jesus came and entered in. He, He took on flesh. He became human for us. And in doing so, he, he, he accepted the, the limitations and the infirmities of human flesh. And as a human, Jesus had friends. We, we see this as we read through the Gospels. When we read the Gospels, we, we notice that there is one disciple who is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love all of his disciples. But there was one with whom he had a particular relationship, and, and that ought to impress us. But even beyond that, there, within the, the twelve disciples, there were the three, Peter, James, and John, with whom Jesus had a, a, a closer relationship, whom he often took off apart from the others. But then there were the twelve themselves, these, these twelve who had been called to be with him. Beyond the twelve, there were others who were considered His disciples. not Not merely members of the crowd, but His disciples. And as we see these concentric circles, I don't think it's unfair for us to see these as concentric circles of... Friendship. There was the one who was closest to him, the, the disciple whom he loved, then there was Peter, James, and John, then there were the twelve, and then finally there were the, the disciples. These are his circles of, of friendship. And I think that each of us ought to aspire to have the same types of relationships within the church. Maybe there is one with whom you are closer than a brother. One who, who knows you better than anyone and still loves you. One to whom you can reveal yourself and who has revealed himself to you. Then there may be two or, or three with whom your life is, is more intimately woven, who, who you share your life with. And there may be 10 or 12 or 15 with whom you regularly spend time. People who you see on a, on a regular occasion. And then there will be a wider circle. Maybe as many as 100 or 150 whom you know and love and keep up with and pray for. These are circles of, of friendships. And, and if we don't have such relationships, we need to seek them. If you don't have such relationships, you need to seek them. Now... Caveat, not all of us will have the same size circles. I've often used the illustration of a Lego brick. Maybe you, you've heard me say it before. I think I stole it from a guy named Larry Osborne, a pastor out in California. But, but he, he, he compares people to Lego bricks, and he says, listen, we're not all the same size brick. You know, some of us are those little tiny bricks that only have four nubs on top. You know, others of us are the really long bricks with a dozen or more on each side. You know, we're not all wired the same way. We, we are different size bricks, we, and so we're not all going to have the same number of connections. Some of us can maintain more friendships, others of us less, but we all need friendships. Even if you think of yourself as the smallest little Lego block, you need friends. From the very beginning, as Sam said, Scripture tells us it was not good for man to be alone. God created us to live in community that we might encourage and and strengthen and and sustain one another. Even as the apostles, they need to go to their friends after they are released. They they need to be with those who can encourage them. They need to be with those who can sustain them. They They need those whom they can pray with, as we'll see in just a moment. But it isn't possible for you to have that sort of relationship with everyone. Even Jesus in his humanity had circles of friends. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we begin to develop the friendships that we need? Well, I want to suggest to you that a, a congregation of Christ's church is, is really a great place to, to start. Look, think about Jesus' example. How did Jesus develop his circles of, of friends? He, he started wide and he narrowed over time. Jesus' widest circle of, of disciples emerged from the crowds that flocked to him. When, when Jesus preached, when he healed, when he exercised demons, the crowds flocked to him. Now some of those came only to see the spectacle. They they came only to eat the bread. They they came only to see the miracle. But but others stayed with him and they became his disciples. And so there were not only crowds, but there were groups of disciples that were with Jesus. And from this wide circle of disciples, we're told, he selected twelve to be his apostles. Twelve to be with him in a unique and and special way. And from within that circle of twelve... Jesus developed an even closer relationship with three, one of whom came to be known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I would suggest to you that in exactly the same way, we need to start wide and and narrow over time. And as I said, a a particular congregation is a great place to start. God has, has placed us in communities. And in, within those communities, we need to seek to develop friendships. Now, again, Trinity is a, a church of you know, uh, various sizes. I mean, right now, with the, with the pandemic, we, we can't all get together at any one time. But it doesn't really matter whether you're in a large church or, or a smaller church. The reality is that, that most people can know about 150 people. If you're in a small church, you'll know, you can know just about everyone there. If you're in a larger church, you will reach your limit at around 150 or so. Some, have, some are better, others are, are worse. I might struggle to get to triple digits, but that's just the way that it is. Yeah, but the reality is, is that, that we, we can know a certain number of people. And in time, if you, if you make yourself a part of a congregation, you can come to know just about everyone if the congregation is not too large. But it takes effort. It takes effort to to know people. And in in the current season, with the the limitations of the pandemic uh, limiting our ways of of being together and of spending time together, it, it takes extra effort. And so what I'm suggesting to you is that you need to commit to putting in the effort. If you have been isolated, if you have been extra isolated during this pandemic season it is not healthy it is not good for you you need to put in the effort to to talk to people to develop relationships with people whether that's in the hallways or the parking lot here at church or or if you're worshiping at home and it's on the phone or it's uh, on the greenway or it's over coffee at a, at a picnic table outside somewhere it doesn't really matter where but you need to make the effort to get together because it is not good for you to be alone the apostles were able to walk the road that was set before them because they had friends. And we need to emulate their example. We need to seek to develop the same types of friendships. We need to make the effort to invest in one another's lives and to, and to push past small talk, to, to ask real questions about their lives, about how they're doing, how are things at work, how are things at home, how are things with your children. And when you ask the questions, listen to the answers. Pay attention. Get to know. But of course it has to go the other way too. When they ask you questions, you have to answer. You have to say more than fine. Allow relationships to develop. And as you begin to develop those relationships, over time, a smaller circle of friends will naturally develop. People whom you see more frequently. Just the people who, who live near you, or you see at the grocery store, or you see at the, the gas station. People who you will see more frequently, and, or maybe it may be people with whom you sh- share a special interest or passion. Maybe you like playing golf, and, and you get together at the, the golf course. There'll be people with whom your life intersects in some extra way. You can't always predict it. You, you don't always know who it's going to be, but as those relationships emerge... Value them, cherish them, invest in them, nurture and develop those relationships. Give yourself to the development of friendships. And as you do, even that circle will begin to narrow. There will be a few with with whom you, you see uh, with whom you talk most regularly, those whom you see most frequently. And again, Don't feel guilty. Invest in those relationships. Take advantage of of those whom God has woven into the very fabric of your life. Get to know them. It takes work. Yes, put in the work. Develop the circle of friendships that you need to thrive. And I I realize this is not what this text is all about. This is not a text about friendship. But it's worth noting, as I I read this text, it just struck me that that the apostles were able to go to their friends after being arrested. They were able to go to their friends and debrief. They were able to go to their friends and and talk about what had happened. And those friendships will sustain them throughout the hard road that is marked out for them in the coming chapters. The the story that we will be uh, considering in the months and years ahead. Those friendships are vital. Those friendships are important. And we need those same types of friendships within the church. It takes work. And it takes extra work during a pandemic. Put in the work. Reach out. Meet people. Get together. Nurture and develop your friendships. Because those friendships will be vital to you in the the years ahead as you seek to live as becomes a follower of christ but it's not only that we that the apostles had friends that we need to notice we also need to notice what they did with their friends that's actually what this text is is mostly about because because notice when they got together with their friends they, they told them what has happened and then immediately They prayed. We we see this in verses 23 and 24. Look again, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests, and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. In other words, the, the apostles' friends heard about the council's threats, and they immediately prayed. Now, given the content of their prayer, which I said we're going to be looking at in more detail next Sunday, it seems that they knew they were in a situation they could not possibly handle on their own. And so knowing their situation, knowing that their situation was was far beyond their own abilities to, to bear, they cried out to the one whom they knew to be more than able to handle any situation. We heard it in our call to worship this, this morning. The, the blessed is the one who doesn't put his trust in princes, but rather blessed is the one who puts his trust in the Lord, the, the sovereign Lord, as he's called here, the, the Almighty, whose hand works all things according to his predestined plan. We have the privilege of, of crying out to the sovereign Lord. And that's exactly what the apostles did. When they were released, they went to their friends, they told them what has happened, and then they cried out to God together. And that, too, is something that we should emulate. When we face circumstances we cannot handle on our own, our first and immediate instinct should be to cry out to God in prayer. As soon as we finish telling our friends what happened, as soon as we we finish giving our report, we should lift up our voices together in prayer to the Sovereign Lord. Maybe it's a a difficult diagnosis. Just this week, I I heard that a good friend of my family, someone whom I have known for, for more than 40 years, I heard that... He was diagnosed this week with a, an advanced and aggressive cancer. And in this fallen world, such diagnoses are, are not unusual. They are far too common. Each of you could tell your own story this morning, not only related to the pandemic and, and the virus, but just to any other number of diseases that we are wrestling with, that we are facing whether it's your, your mother who is sick or a friend who is sick or your spouse who is, is sick. We know what it is to face these difficult diagnoses that, that we simply cannot handle on our own. We, we can't fix it. And in such situations, our first instinct should be to pray Together, Maybe it's a, a broken relationship, a stressed relationship. Again, such, such fractured relationships are all too common in this fa- fallen world. Our, our families experience brokenness, our friendships break, our, our, our fellowships are, are compromised, and, and such situations are, again, clearly beyond our ability to bear. We, we cannot simply fix them. Despite what all the self-help books say, when a relationship breaks, it's not always simple to, to put it right again. And when we face broken relationships, our first instinct should be to cry out to God in prayer. Maybe it's a difficult situation at work, or, or maybe it's just a difficult situation in the, the culture at large, a, a difficult relationship with your boss or a coworker, a, a difficult relationship with a customer, an impossible assignment, and an unreasonable reprimand. Or it might just simply be the fact that we live in a culture that aggressively and consistently calls evil good while calling good evil. But again, such situations, while they are sp- clearly beyond our ability, they are common. We face them all the time. We we know what it is to be in a difficult situation. We know what it is to to be in over our heads, to be in the pit, to be ensnared with the the cords of, of death. We have all felt it. We have all faced such situations. And in such situations, our first instinct should be to prayer. Maybe that's prayer right then and there. In the, uh, if you're talking to a friend in the foyer or talking to a friend in the parking lot, it's, it's prayer right then and there. Maybe if you're, you're on the phone, it's prayer right there before you hang up. If you're, if you're talking outside on the greenway, it's, it's prayer right there. Our first instinct ought to be to pray. Or maybe it's, it's getting together later to, to pray in a more focused and in deliberate way. But, but either way, it's, it's prayer that we turn to. And I think this is something that, that, that we can do better as a church. I reflect on my time here as your pastor, and I, and I know that there are many of you who, who have been so faithful in prayer. You are an inspiration to me. <laughs> I marvel. I think about our own kingdom prayer group that's advertised in the bulletin and how faithful they are to get together to pray for the church, both this congregation and Christ's church at large. There are so many of you who have been so faithful in prayer, and I thank God for the ways that you have supported and sustained this congregation. But I still think we can grow in this area. I think we can get better at this. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'm not suggesting a new program at this point, but I'm just saying I want us to grow in this area. I want us to become more and more people of prayer, people whose first response to the situations they cannot handle is prayer. Yes, I want you to do it with your friends, but I, I want us to do it as a congregation as well. And let me just say one more word about that, that little phrase, the, that, the, these, these situations that ought to elicit such prayer, these situations that we cannot handle on our own. Just think about that phrase for a moment. What exactly is a situation we cannot handle on our own? Some of you may be thinking, are there, are there any situations we can handle on our own? Are, are there any situations that, 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 that we are fit to handle? And I think there's really actually two ways to answer that question. Now obviously from one perspective, There are no situations that we can handle on our own. We can't take our next breath apart from Him. We we live and, and move and have our being only at His pleasure. You got out of bed this morning because of His grace to you. And so only by His grace do we live. And so from that perspective, there are no situations that we can handle on our own. And so therefore, from that perspective, there are no situations that should not prompt us to pray. And that is surely right. There are no situations you can handle on your own, and so therefore there are no situations that you ought not to be praying about. This is why I so often recommended that that we pray not only every day, but we pray throughout the day. When I I meet with someone to to talk about prayer, to talk about developing a prayer life, one of the things I always suggest to them is that they learn to, to pray for their morning in the morning. What is it that you have to do this morning? Pray about it in the morning. Set, give your morning to the, Lord, uh, to the Lord in prayer before you start. And then when you naturally break for lunch, the, uh, as you, before you get back to work, Pray again for your afternoon. What is it that you have to do this afternoon? What are the things that are on your plate? What are the things that you're going to have to handle? Pray for God. Devote those things to the Lord. Ask for His, His grace and His wisdom that you might live well this afternoon. And then when you come to the end of the day, the, the work day, and you're getting ready to go home to spend time with your, your family, pray for your evening. Pray, that devote that time to the Lord. Pray for God's grace that it might be good and fruitful and and beneficial. Pray throughout the day because the reality is there is no day that you can handle on your own. Yes, the apostles were uniquely aware, we're going to talk about that in just a second, that they were in a difficult situation here. But the reality is we need God's sustaining grace every day. And therefore every day ought to be a day undergirded with prayer. But while that is true there is another sense in which we do sometimes face situations that are extraordinarily difficult. Situations that aren't normal. Situations that are beyond the ordinary. Situations where our weakness and our and our finitude are particularly exposed. We see this actually in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes to the the Corinthians, he says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. A particular time, a particular place. He says, I want you to know of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And we think Paul was a pretty good theologian. We, we we think Paul probably understood his all the time full dependence upon God's sustaining grace, and yet he could say that while in Asia he was particularly burdened. That while in Asia he despaired of life itself. And so we aren't denying our absolute, our, our all-the-time dependence upon God when we talk about extraordinarily difficult situations. We we don't do ourselves any favors by being too spiritual here. Some days are harder than others. Yes, every day, every moment, you are completely dependent upon God. And at the same time, some days are harder than others. Some days you despair of life itself. Some days are like Paul's days in Asia. It's the sort of situation the apostles are facing here. The apostles were always fully dependent upon God's grace, and yet when the council threatened them, that felt extraordinary. That was a a new particular burden that they had to bear. While none of us may face exactly that burden, we have all faced similar extraordinary situations. And so while it is appropriate to pray, and while we, of course, ought to pray every day, all the time, it is appropriate to have extraordinary times of prayer for extraordinary situations. We do this sometimes when, when someone is especially sick. They may call the elders together to, to, to pray. They may call their friends together to, to pray. We, we do this maybe when there's an extraordinarily broken relationship. We, we pray for reconciliation and for, for healing. We, we do this when there's a, a particular period of, of social unrest in our culture going on. We can pray in those extraordinary circumstances. So yes, while we should always pray, and, and while there are no situations we can handle on our own, there are still extraordinary situations that call for extraordinary prayer. And I want us to grow in both types of prayer. Yes, I want us to grow in the, the ordinary, everyday prayer. We need to pray together better than we have. We need to grow in this area. And we need to pray in extraordinary situations. Again, I don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm not proposing a new program But we see the apostles' example. And we ought to long to emulate it. They were people of prayer and they prayed especially when they faced this this special, extraordinary situation. And we need to grow in emulating them as they show us what it means to live as followers of Christ. As I said, we will see you next Sunday more of the God to whom they prayed. We we will consider what it means for Him to be the Sovereign Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth, the One whose almighty hand works all things according to His predestined plan. But just hearing those terms, hearing that He is the Sovereign, hearing that He is the Almighty, hearing that He is the One whose mighty hand directs all things, how foolish it would be not to pray. How foolish it would be to instead rely upon our own worry and and fret and obsession. How foolish it would be to, to merely plan and strategize, rather than turning to the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Let us not worry. Let us pray. Let us gather with our friends. Let us gather as a whole congregation. Let us gather in smaller groups. Let us gather with just one But let us gather with our friends and pray together to the one who has the power and the wisdom to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Let us entrust ourselves to him, especially when we face extraordinarily difficult circumstances. For he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. And because we can pray to such a one, because we can pray to such a God, because we can pray to the one who is almighty and who has promised to hear us. That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in your goodness. We thank You for the gift of prayer. We thank You that You have given us a, 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 a right to come into Your presence, to come into Your throne room and to make our cares and concerns known, especially, Father, when we, when we face uh, circumstances of extraordinary difficulty. Forgive us for the way that we neglect that gift and teach us by Your grace to use it more and more with our friends and, and uh, whether it be just one or whether it be uh, more Father, teach us to pray together. Teach us to lift up our voices to you in prayer that you might sustain us, that you might strengthen us, that you might rescue us from the pit and set us free to live lives worthy of the calling with which we have been called. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.